back to 1 John. 1 John, we're actually in chapter 2 now, verses 1 and 2. We're going to read it, and then we're going to go back through it verse by verse here. My little children, John says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I was looking in the mirror the other day and I saw, I got, I got quite a few grays coming in now that I'm growing the beard out a little bit. And at first I was alarmed thinking about some jests for men, but then I thought, you know what? I, I earned those grays. That's the stress of kids. That's the stress of pastoring life, right? I earned those gray hairs. And at the same time, I thought, you know, there's, there's this other side of me that thinks, yeah, but I'm still sort of making some of the dumb decisions that I used to make too. You'd think I know better by now. The older you get, you still sometimes have those moments, don't you? Man, I think I'd know better than to do this again. I, I can remember in 2019, going out to hike in California with my wife, Jara, and waking up so excited to go see the redwood trees in Muir Woods National Park. And unfortunately, the forecast called for rain all day long. And outside, it looked like it was going to rain, but it wasn't raining yet. So I said, hey, let's just cross over the Golden Gate Bridge. Let's go up into the mountains. Let's see. And so we did. We got there, and the forecast still, it actually said it is currently raining, but it wasn't. And so I said, hey, let's just go hike for a little bit. And we did. And it was beautiful. It was so pretty. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen these redwood trees, but these forests are amazing. This is a picture of Jarrah on that trip in that national park. And it was gorgeous. And it, and it wasn't raining. We got a couple miles into the trail. And I thought, you know what, Jarrah, we could turn back now or we could take the scenic route where we climb up to the top of the mountain, out of the trees, we get the beautiful view and we go back the long way, you know, three or four mile hike. And against her better judgment, lesson in there somewhere, husbands, I said, let's do it, let's go. I know the weather forecast says that this is coming, but it's not here yet, we can do it. And, and I promise you, it wasn't one second after we stepped out of the trees and got onto the top of the mountain that the floodgates of heaven opened up and the rains just came and it was misery. Let me tell you, uh, I think I've got another picture of that where it was just awful. That is my wife. Those are rivers. It, it dropped 30 degrees and my wife, who is the toughest person I know, just walked like this while crying the whole three miles back to the car. Yes, you'd think I'd know better than to ignore the weatherman. I was listening uh, to this, this show on, on the radio called Car Talk. Anyone ever heard of Car Talk? Maybe some of my old school people. All right, it's a hilarious show. And there was this young lady that called in because she was having car trouble. And she took her car into the shop and they gave her this astronomical repair bill estimate. And so she called into the show to ask these experts whether that repair bill was reasonable. And they said, well, tell us what's going on with the car. She said, well, six months ago, my check engine light came on in the dash. And they said, okay, and what did you do? She said, I put a piece of black tape over the instrument panel so I wouldn't have to look at that annoying light. And later on, of course, she pays the price. 
We have these warnings in our life for a reason. And whether it's the weatherman telling you you're about to get wet or whether it's the check engine light, we tend to minimize the warnings. We tend to ignore the warnings. And today I wanna encourage us not to ignore the warning that God gives us through John. Here is what he tells us. John writes in order to say this, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. This is the warning that he gives. He's saying sin is a serious problem. And if you just look back at the previous chapter in chapter one, you can see John talking about the consequences of sin, how we walk in darkness while God is in the light, while, while sin has to uh, be covered over by the blood of Jesus. The cross is a consequence of sin the fellowship that we have both with God and one another. It's broken because of sin. And John is saying, sin is a serious problem. And so I'm imploring you just like John did, don't ignore the warning lights. Don't pretend like it's not gonna rain when the forecast calls for rain. Sin is something that we need to consider deeply and we need to take seriously. Sin is a serious problem. Now let's define exactly what sin is. John says just in the next chapter, in chapter three, verse four, he uses a really simple definition. He says sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. There's multiple different types of lawlessness, right? Um, if, I, if I'm speeding, that's a type of lawlessness, but that's not what John's talking about. He's not talking about breaking human laws. What he is talking about are breaking the laws of God. God gives us laws both for our protection and for our flourishing. These laws that God gives us often are based on who he is. And so when we violate these commands, we're violating who God is and who he designed us to be. And you can read about these. Just take the Ten Commandments, for example. You shouldn't lie. You shouldn't steal, right? Right? Yeah, okay, good. Just making sure. <laughs> and, and, and when we ignore that, okay, we, we choose to lie. What we have done is we have committed a sin against the law of God. That's a commission. But the flip side is true. The Bible's not just a rule book that tells you all the things you're not allowed to do. It it's, talks also about how God designed things to work and how, what we should do. And so scripture also says things like you should raise up your kids in the Lord, show them the way that it should go. And so if you have children and you say to yourself, you know what, I'm gonna wait till my kids grow up and I'm gonna let them decide what they believe about God or I'm gonna let them find out for themselves and you don't read scripture in your home, you don't pray with your children, you don't um, talk about Jesus and your relationship with Jesus, you are omitting to do the thing that God calls you to do. That's also sin. We have these sins where we do things God says don't do, and we have sins where we don't do the things that God says to do, and all of that is lawlessness, John says. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. We talked about that last week. Now, getting to our definition, sin defined looks something like this. There's lots of definitions you could use, but the one that I use is that sin is rebellion against God and his commands. It's my rebellion against God and his commands, and it's serious. Uh, 
It's serious. I want to actually camp out on this for a little bit and talk about three reasons why sin is so serious. It's one thing to say, don't do this. But I was always the person that was wondering like, well, why not? I don't know if there's anybody else in there that always wanted to know the why reason. I was probably an annoying child for this reason. But you can't do this. Why not? I want to know. Well, I'm going to tell you three reasons why sin is so serious. Number one, sin separates. This is what it does. Sin separates. First of all, it separates in two different ways. It separates us from God. In, in, in just the last uh, several verses here, we read that God is light. God is perfect. In him is no darkness at all. And so sin separates us in God. In verse, um, in verse six, it says, if we say we have fellowship with God while we're walking in darkness or sin, we lie and we don't practice the truth. And so if you have sin in your life that is unforgiven, you've never trusted in Jesus to forgive it, you've never asked him, then that has driven a wedge between you and this perfect and holy God. We read in verse three, though, that, that we can have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Thanks to the blood of Jesus, that sin can be eradicated. It can be taken away. We're going to talk more about this later on today. But anytime we commit a sin, it still drives a wedge between us and God. So even you as a believer who is forgiven judiciously in heaven or judicially in heaven, even though you're forgiven, if you commit a sin, it still separates that relationship between you and God. Sin is serious. It separates, it drives wedges between your relationship with God. The second reason why sin is so serious is that it dominates. There is no such thing, no matter how often we try to minimize it as a small sin. Sin is never satisfied with being small in your life. Its desire is not to be a part of your life. Its desire is not to be an addition to your life. Its desire is not to just be a companion. Its desire is to dominate you. In Genesis chapter 4, we see God himself talking to Cain. And as God talks to Cain in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, Cain is wrestling over the temptation to commit sin. And God gives him this warning. Let's read this together. Genesis 4, 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your expression downcast? Is it not true that if you do what is right, you will be fine? But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire, it desires to dominate you, but you must subdue it. Church, sin is still desiring to do the same thing in your life today. It's, we, we get this picture of something that is crouching outside the door of a house, just waiting for you to open up that crack just enough that it can barge in and overtake. And this is what sin is trying to do. So when you minimize it, when you excuse it, when you justify it in your own mind, what you're doing is downplaying something whose desire is to come into your life and dominate. The third reason, we have already seen that sin separates us from God. Its desire is to dominate you. But the third thing that sin likes to do is it, it just devastates 
This is what it does. There's an old saying that is, it says that sin will take you further than you ever thought that you would go. It'll keep you longer than you ever thought that you would stay. And it'll cost you more than you ever imagined you'd have to pay. That's what sin does. It comes into our lives with the sole purpose of wreaking devastation. It is of our enemy. In James chapter one, James, the brother of Jesus, kind of gives this, this process, which I like to take with Genesis four, and, and it creates this, this really incredible picture of how sin works, and it's a warning to us. We read this in James 1.14. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, it brings forth death. This is the end result of sin in our life, death. And so you have this picture of sin, which is crouching at the door. And it's saying, hey, just let me in. I just need, I'm going to stop in for a second. It's not a big deal. I just, let me come in for a quick drink. I, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not all that I've been cracked up to be. I'm not as bad as everyone's told you that I am. You can control it. You got it under your control. It's not a big deal. Everyone else is doing it. And the moment that your temptation and desires match up and you open up that door for sin, it comes in, it dominates you in such a way that there is a union that takes place, according to James, a union that involves conception and giving birth. Flirting with temptation leads to intercourse with sin. And intercourse with sin gives birth to death and devastation in your life. And if we downplay it, if we call it less than that, then we're not being faithful to what the scriptures say. And so any moment, any, any minute where you start to justify and call it less than what it is, you're not being faithful to what scripture says. And this is how it works. I mean... I've talked to enough people whose lives were destroyed by addiction to know that that's the process. Not a single one of them said, you know what? When I looked back and I took that first drink or when I looked back and I took that first hit and I said yes to that person, I never, you know, I never once thought that it would dominate and rule the rest of my life in the way that it has. Destroys it, just destroys it. I've seen families that have just been broken by infidelity. And I promise you that never once at the end of that process, when the person that you loved most is the most devastated, where your relationship with your kids is strained, where you're financially destroyed, where your reputation is in tatters and in ruins, did one person ever look back and say, you know what, when I first looked up that old flame and sent her a message, I... You know, I, I never would have thought that's where that took me. But that is sin's desire in your life. And John wants to warn you, warn you against allowing sin to be a part of your life, unchecked and uncontrolled, because that's where it's taking you. The weather report is in. You're going to get wet. The check engine light is on. If you ignore it, it's going to cost you sin matters. It's serious. 
Now, there is hope for those of us who are without Christ. There's always hope. Isn't that good, church? John doesn't just give you warnings and beat you up. He gives you hope. But I just want to say this because I have spent enough time as a believer at this point in my life to know what it feels like to still know that I'm forgiven in heaven and yet still feel like I'm being dominated by sin. And it's not a good feeling. You think that you have victory over sin and maybe you, you, you have some victory in one area and sin comes in and it starts to eat at you in this other area and you're just tired of fighting and you're exhausted and it's beat you up and you're not sure what to do about it at this point. When I was a, a kid, like in the 80s, late 80s and 90s, early 90s, I loved WWF wrestling. Anybody else love some WWF wrestling? Yes. Don't be ashamed. Come on. Hulk Hogan, right? Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, yeah. Uh, I loved uh, The Ultimate Warrior. I was a big Ultimate Warrior guy. And me and my brother, we would do tag team wrestling matches against my dad. And I loved a tag team match because a tag team match, like one person can be in the middle just being dominated, just being beat up. And the other person's right on the edge, right? And their hand's out. And if that person can just crawl to the edge and touch the fingers of that other person, they just storm and they run in and they start beating up while the other person crawls to the edge and catches their breath and recuperates. Man, I think so many of us have been fighting a one-on-one -on -one battle with sin when it was never meant to be that. It was always meant to be tag team. You have so many people, listen to me, if you are struggling in sin, if you feel like sin is dominating you, you have so many people here who love you, whose hands are out saying, tag me in. Let me help you. Let me pray for you. Let me fight on your behalf for a little while. Let me encourage you. Let me tell you what's worked for me. Let me help you and encourage you and pray for you and hold you accountable. Do not let sin have domination. Don't fight alone. Man, So this is why we say that Sunday is just the start. Growth takes place in community, spiritual growth. I mean, if Satan has you one-on-one -on -one with a sin that you have not shared with anyone, that you are still struggling with, he's got you right where he wants you. Don't let sin dominate your life. Small groups are a great place to build relationships with people that you can then start to share these things with. If you don't have anybody, this is why when you fill out a connect card, I give you my number. I'll text you, let's talk. I don't want you to spend another week being dominated by sin when you've got so many people here who wanna fight for you. We gotta keep moving. Verse two. John really flips the script here. So he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you might not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. All right, we're not getting to verse two yet. Hold on, let me talk to that. Just a second. I think that it's so, at first I read this, and I think I, re I know I read it incorrectly. But when I first started reading this, I sort of heard him saying like, Hey, I'm writing so you don't sin. But I mean, if you do sin, don't, don't worry about it. You've got an advocate. But that's not, that's not what John's saying here. He's not saying, hey, I'm writing this so you don't sin. But I mean, we all know if you do. I think John's talking to two different types of people here. And any of you who have coached or anyone who's been a parent, you know that 
Uh, each person that you coach is a little bit different. You can hold people to the same standards. You can hold them accountable in the same way, but you gotta coach them each up a little bit differently to get the best out of them. Parents, you know the same thing, don't you? Each of your kids is different. If you parent them exactly the same, it's not gonna work as well as if you parent them individually. You can hold the same standards, you can hold them accountable, but each one's different. My, my kids are different with discipline. One of my children, I, I need to physically spank that child. The other one, I just have to look at them and it's like they crumble. I'll let you guess which is which. But it's the same thing here. I, I think John is writing first to those who are downplaying sin and he's saying, don't sin. It's a big deal, stop downplaying it. But then he knows that there's also a group of people that need to hear the good news that you've been forgiven, you have an advocate. You've been beating yourself up. Man, I'm just a sinner. That's all I am. I'm no good, I'm, 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 I'm messed up again, I'm, I'm worthless, I'm nothing. That is not how we're supposed to live as Christians. Paul calls us more than conquerors. We're victorious thanks to Jesus Christ. John is talking to two different types of people. The first one is minimizing sin and the other one is forgetting the type of advocate that they have with them. Jesus Christ is standing beside you. He is telling you that you are his child, his son and his daughter. Of course, you, you, you should not sin, but you also shouldn't despair. John says, I titled this sermon, Don't Sin, Don't Despair. No one ever sees the title. It doesn't matter. But that's, that's literally what he's saying. Hey, don't sin, but don't despair. You have this advocate, Jesus Christ, who is standing with you. Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, a son or a daughter of the king, you are not a dirty, rotten sinner. You're a child of God. You have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous, who stands by your side. He loves you. Verse two, Jesus Christ, the righteous, that's the end of verse one. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. All right, we, we need to define that term propitiation. That's a big theological term. Let me hear you say that, propitiation. It kind of rolls off the tongue a little bit, doesn't it? But before we define what propitiation means, I actually think we have to define what God's wrath is because those two things are intertwined. Now, wrath is a distinctive theological term and it's different than what I always assumed wrath meant. I had always looked at wrath as like a degree of anger like if you borrow my uh, dry erase marker out of my office and you don't bring it back, I'm annoyed with you. If you borrow my uh, computer charger and you leave it at home and then I don't have a computer charger that day at work, I'm, I'm mad at you. But if you go into the refrigerator at the office and you take that piece of pizza that I brought in for my lunch and you eat it, you will feel my wrath, right? That's kind of what I thought that meant like degrees of anger, but it's actually a biblical term. God's wrath is a holy action. Wrath is about action and holiness and justice 
not about an emotional anger. Do you understand? And so because God is light, in him is no darkness at all. That's, that's last week's passage. And because we are sinful and in rebellion against God, we fall under God's wrath. A holy action will be taken against us based on his justice and his perfection. The Bible tells us that the wages of that sin, the action, the debt that is due is death, eternal separation between us and God forever. That's what hell is. Now, we have to understand that this is the state of all of us. Jonathan Edwards in his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, says that human beings don't realize it, but they dance along the cliff of of God's wrath. They dance along the edge of the cliff of God's wrath. God's just wrath rests on sinful mankind. And this is important to know because propitiation is what God does about this. Propitiation, while God's just wrath is this holy action that's due because of our sin, propitiation, if we define that, is it is the removal of the wrath of God against sinners by the sacrifice of Jesus. The wages of sin are death. The the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus became that propitiation on our behalf. His death, his blood, perfection was, was given. The perfect and spotless lamb, the sacrifice, was given on our behalf, and that satisfies the wrath of God. That's what propitiation is. And so just as sin is devastating, propitiation is amazing. Let's talk about, I want to give you three thoughts on propitiation. Number one thing that propitiation does is it reconciles. Where sin separates and it drives wedges, propitiation removes those wedges and it brings us back to God. It satisfies the just wrath of God on sinful mankind so that God looks at me and he no longer sees that sin. He placed that upon Jesus. So whereas sin separates, propitiation reconciles. What a beautiful thought. Sin is all over the place trying to separate us from God and God comes in and he does everything needed in order to bring back that fellowship. That's amazing. Man, that's amazing. The second thing, propitiation doesn't just reconcile, it releases. Sin tries to dominate you. It grabs a hold of you. It wraps chains around your heart. Sin puts you in a prison cell from which you are unable to escape. But what propitiation does is it opens up those doors. In Romans chapter six, we read this about the person who is a child of God. We read this. We'll start in verse six. We say, we, uh, Paul says that we know our old self was crucified him with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So if you're in Christ, you're no longer enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from that sin. Then if we go down to verse 11, you must consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. If you have Jesus Christ as your savior, if you've placed your faith and trust in him, sin, although it may still be seeking to dominate you, it no longer has power over you. You have been released. Now I watched this video 
of this bear. It had spent most of its life in captivity. And in captivity, it was in this small, whatever, 15 by 15 cage. And it just would walk in circles in this cage, right? All day long. And then they showed this video of this bear. It had been released onto a, a reservation for animals. And this bear, eight years later, was still walking in that same eight foot by eight foot circle. Just because we're released from the power of sin doesn't mean that we just automatically don't struggle with those same sins. We have to learn to understand, to live life in the freedom that Christ provides us. Sin seeks to separate, propitiation reconciles. Sin seeks to dominate you, propitiation releases you. And sin is gonna try to devastate your life and it brings devastation. But what propitiation does is it restores. It makes all things new. In 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 15, in 2 Corinthians chapter five, rather, verse 17, we read that the apostle Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. And I thank God that where once there was separation and domination and devastation, now instead there is reconciliation. There is release and there is restoration. I am new in Christ Jesus. All of us have received this reconciliation. It is available to all of us. And now what God says is that we have this responsibility. As followers of his, it says in verse 20, that we are ambassadors for Christ. Now making his appeal, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Now, not only have we been released, we now get to go and walk and release other people from their prison cells. We get to go and tag in and start fighting on behalf of other people and show them they no longer have to be dominated by this sin, that they no longer have to be separated from this God who loves them so very much. Church, what good news we have from the Apostle John, that although sin is serious, propitiation is better. God's plan is to release, to restore God's plan is not for you to live your life in bondage. John gives us a warning. And that warning is that sin is serious. It's deadly serious. I want everybody to look right, right here, right now. You are not promised another day. You are not promised to make it home from this church service back to your house. Today is the day to deal with your sin, to get right before this holy God, to accept his free gift of salvation. I don't know what it is that has caused you to put that off for so long. I don't know what it is, what pride has caused you to say, I gotta get get fixed first. I got to take care of that myself. I'm too embarrassed to talk about it. I don't know what it is. Don't spend another day in bondage. Jesus Christ came and he shed his blood so that we might have freedom from our sin and accept the free gift of salvation. I want to invite you to bow your heads this morning. If there's anyone in here 
who has never placed their faith and their trust in Jesus for salvation. You've never asked him to forgive you for your sins. You've, you've never admitted that you need that. Today is the day of salvation. Do not go another week. Don't go another day. We're not promised it. I'm begging you. Talk to God. Jesus came and he gave his life for yours. He took your debts on himself. Say, Jesus, I know and I confess that I'm sinful and I need a savior. I'm placing my faith and my trust in you. Save me. And then do not walk alone. Tell someone today, stop at our Connect Center. Fill out the form, decision.church. Let someone know that you prayed that prayer to God so that we might walk alongside of you. Listen to the warning of John, but listen to the good news as well. Don't sin, don't despair. I want us to just spend a, a minute in quiet reflection and prayer this morning before we worship.